the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. The role of class occupies an interesting cross-section of the industry right now. Simultaneously defender of safety and the repository of technical knowledge, class societies are at the vanguard of the shifting tectonics that will define the future of shipping. Increasingly unpredictable markets, growing complexity around regulations and the era-defining nature of new technologies and digitalization. I'm delighted to say I'm joined this week by the uh, the Brains Trust at DNVGL. We have uh, Eric Nyhus, Environment Director and uh, a returning member of the uh, Lloyd's List uh, podcast alumni, Dut Orbeck Nielsen, uh, the Maritime Chief Executive of DNVGL. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. Very happy to be back. The juxtaposition that you two represent, I guess, internally within DMVGL, you, Eric, uh, you know, down at the IMO, in the thick of it at uh, the Marine Environment Protection Committee meetings, overwhelmed with the uh, onslaught of uh, environmental regulation. And taking the overview, you're very much concerned with the, the bedrock of what class really stands for, safety. Is there a divergence between the, the way you two see things uh, happening? Because you've talking, uh, spoken at length, I guess, about um, the fact that safety should be higher up the agenda than it currently is, and it's almost being overtaken by the environmental agenda. But the reality is that uh, you, Eric, are, are down there, and that is what is driving a lot of activity within the industry. Where's the, the industry find itself at the moment? Good, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very good, uh, say, introduction that you gave. Environmental issues have definitely taken um, you know, priority on the uh, regulatory agenda. Uh, and what I'm arguing is that that is what we have to expect for the future also. But making those new uh, regulations concerning emissions, we really have to put safety at the core. And always ask ourselves, will any of these new environmental regulations with the best intentions have any impact on safety of the vessel, the cargo or the crew. And I think that has been neglected in the last several years. But explicitly at the expense of the environmental agenda, you're basically saying that safety is not as high up the agenda as it should be. That's what I'm saying. But is that true? Because, I mean, the available statistics all point in the other direction. Safety is improving. Casualty rates, as much as we can gather from the, frankly, fragmented nature of uh, statistics within the industry, all suggest that uh, casualty rates and safety has improved, if not plateaued, over the last few years. Which I'm, I'm really happy uh, to see if, if that is indeed the case. I have no reason to suspect otherwise because, as you say, there is uh, not everything that is reported. But what I believe is the main point is that cannot be taken as a guarantee for the future development of safety at sea. And that's why we really need to always bring with us the safety concern in everything we do with respect to regulations. You mentioned you know, the need for a, a more holistic approach, I think was your phrase. Talk us through why you think the industry is still operating within silos. Yeah, so um, 
I can give you a couple of quite straightforward, easy examples. Uh, on the EEDI, for instance, the D rating of the engines in order to this save... Is the efficiency design index. This is basically the IMO regulated way that uh, you can increase the efficiency of ship design, just exactly. for non-technical listeners. Yes. So uh, basically this was done with the intention to be more uh, fuel efficient, to be, be emitting less uh, pollutants. However, the, the fact was that it took much longer for the vessel to go through a critical path, what is called the, the BARD speed limit. Mm -hmm. And that is really causing more vibrations to the propulsion line, to the shaft, and could lead to damages and eventually loss of propulsion. So I think that is one very concrete example where the emission agenda has overridden the safety concerns mm. and that should not happen in the future. And that's why I say we need to make an holistic approach looking at emissions but at the same time keeping safety at the core. Eric, I want to bring you in here because you've sat through enough MEPC meetings to understand that that was never the intention, of course. The, the overriding intention of these uh, you know, regulatory approaches to improve environmental efficiency was precisely that, to reduce CO2, to clean up the air. But the actual reality is that very often we're not considering the overall holistic implications of these new regulations. And we've just got to look at the resulting uh, chaos ensuing from ballast water onwards to, to understand that you know, regulation doesn't always have the consequence it was designed for. I, I guess the law of unintended consequences also applies uh, at IMO. It's interesting that you mention EEDI because yes, that, that, that is definitely something that was not intended. In essence, that's a consequence of the EDI being designed in such a way that reducing power is the easiest way to achieve compliance. If it had been designed in a different way, you probably would have seen a different result. Mm. Because industry always optimizes, of course, to what the regu regulation actually says. That being said, there are actually steps now being taken to fix that or to remedy that. That will be discussed at uh, MEPC 74 in May. And this is really part of a larger discussion as well, where the greenhouse gas strategy is driving a lot of the activity. In order to get in place rapid reductions, if you will, that we are supposed to achieve under the strategy before 2023, we need to look at what we can do. And taking the EDI and the SEMP, the Ship Energy Efficiency Management Plan, as the two initial vehicles uh, is what IMO is going to be doing. Mm. Now, what that means is that the EDI will be under pressure, if you will, to be tightened even further. So that brings us into this whole, not only the shaft line issue, but essentially, at what point does a ship not become maneuverable anymore? At what point does it not have enough energy or enough power to actually be safe in bad, in bad weather conditions? Now, there are proposals on the table that are intended to remedy that. We don't know if they will go through yet, but that is actually MNPC then taking the initiative to try to fix something that needs to be fixed in order to move forward. Mm. Yes, we have silos, MEPC and MSC, uh, working separately in, in many ways. We're seeing a tendency to increase collaboration on the sulfur issue. There's a joint circular describing certain fuel issues that will be going forward. But a lot more is needed. And we need to start to take that into account in when we start working on regulations, not only try to fix things after we discover that something is broken. I mean, we are now nine months out from the uh, 2020 sulphur regulations coming into effect. 
and we are one MEPC away from the result coming in, where the, the on-the-water decisions uh, that have been taken over the last few years will have results in quality, availability, compatibility. I mean, these are all live discussions that are still ongoing, and to be honest, none of us in the room are necessarily going to know exactly where those issues are going to be until 1st of January. But we are still in the process of having discussions around whether open-loop scrubbers were a good idea after all. And these are not necessarily decisions that are being taken inside Albert Embankment at the IMO headquarters. Eric, you've been making the point that actually increasingly some of the influence is coming to bear from the national governments, often national governments that are very active within the IMO. So it's an increasingly complex regulatory environment within which you're operating. And going back to the original point of safety, I wonder where you see that fitting into that wider debate. You know, can it always be at the top of the agenda? It should be. <laughs> I think we're going all the way on that. But it's a hard question. And it's, it's a hard question because what we're actually doing is we're increasing complexity. Mm. And we're in, when you're increasing complexity, you're making decision-making more difficult. And you're making it more difficult to be sure that you've actually made decisions that are safe under, under all circumstances. Now, that's kind of a philosophical approach, but um, I think it's a real issue and, and I would like to see uh, not only the IMO, but also domestic regulators, if you will, mm. and in particular when ports and municipalities, when they start imposing regulations, to actually think hard about those questions. And if, if I could just add on, um, if we talk about the scrubber debate, it's really uh, you know on three dimensions at the moment. It's the commercial dimension, with the spread between the different fuel options. Yes. It's the political dimension that you alluded to with the different regulatory bodies, national, international, regional, etc. But it also has scientific dimension to it. What is actually the quality of the discharged water and has it any cumulative damage on the environment in, in which it is dispatched. And of course this is something that you have engaged in directly in terms of the objective scientific analysis and your conclusion was actually pretty positive by the sounds of it. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's right that what you mentioned that we took part in, in the so-called carnival study that mm -hmm. was released quite recently in the way that we looked at the laboratory test. We were not part of the sampling, not a, a part of the laboratory testing, but we did look at the laboratory tests and compared the quality of the discharge water with several quality water quality standards mm. and found that the discharge water was within those limits. What we did not do was to look at the cumulative effect. But I mean, I think this helps to bring some sort of factual evidence, some sort of scientific evidence to the debate. I'm not saying that it doesn't harm the environment in the long run, but I mean, this is what we at NVGL would like to see more of, mm. more studies, more scientific research. And, and certainly that was a message that was reflected within the last uh, IMO meeting where the, the chair of the MEPC called for more scientific investigation. And yet, this regulation comes into effect in nine months, open loop scrubbers are in effect, and decisions are being made on a political basis, not a scientific one, and that affects market economics. So these things are linked, and we're back to the holistic nature of regulation and safety. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're obviously interconnected. Uh, at, at the IMO, we cannot be expected to have a huge influence on local politics around the world. That, that's not the remit of the IMO, but we will be reacting to it somehow. But we need to 
try, at least as DMEGL, we have to remain science-based in, in our work. And we have to be aware of what we know and we have to be aware of what we don't know and where more work is needed. And in an ideal world, you fill in those blanks before you make those difficult decisions. And that does not work well in the political world, of course, but we as a company at least try our very best to engage in the scientific bit of this and build knowledge. I think that's our core role. Hence the reason I started this discussion, by you know, positioning you in an interesting point in both the discussion and the, the place in which you sit. You have access to more information than, than most. I mean, we know that there is a problem within the IMO in terms of transparency of information, you know, from everything from casualty investigations not being done in a timely manner to uh, understanding the nature of uh, how many casualties are happening. They're just, there is a very fragmented discussion, I guess, within the industry. It is a, a globalised industry. But my question to you is, do you think there is a bigger role for class in being able to join the dots in terms of some of this transparency and, and aid the bigger picture, the more holistic picture of, of how we, we go from this situation of fragmentation to understanding better safety, better holistic uh, regulatory standards and, you know, playing a more active role, I guess, in terms of the regulatory process. You know, one of the things that uh, I think is really needed is that we have, as you point to, more transparency on the actual causes of accidents and incidents that we have experienced. And it takes way too long time before an report of an accident is being made publicly available. And this time needs to be shortened. Mm. And then, when that is shortened, we need to be much more effective in sharing the content of these reports. And that's where I think uh, CLASS and DMVGL can play a significant role in sharing that informa information, not only in the public domain, but also taking it into the rules, proposing new regulatory measures if needed, and really putting it back into the industry as experiences gained and new knowledge learned. I mean, we're sitting here talking in the relative aftermath of a, a Boeing crash, and to see the speed at which the aviation industry responded, grounded an entire fleet of planes and uh, started producing interim reports, is in stark contrast to the fact that we're nearly uh, seven days out at the point of recording from the two-year anniversary of the Stella Daisy casualty, and yet no casualty investigation yet to be seen from the flag state involved. Now, granted, there are complexities there and there are differences that uh, all listeners will be aware of, but it is a rather stark contrast in terms of our speed of operation and the ability of the shipping industry to, uh, to get to grips with some of these safety issues. But again, class occupies an interesting space because you have visibility over other sectors. And I think one of the points that you've made in the past is that we should learn from sectors like the aviation sector. Exactly. And uh, I think both to build a, a safety culture, to improve a safety culture is a really important point, but also to take inspiration from other industries, either the aviation industry or indeed the oil and gas industry, and the introduction of barrier management as a very effective way of staying on top on some of the most frequent hazards in the industry makes uh, really a lot of sense. But I would again come back to this about sharing insights about accidents and incidents that have happened 
is really the first critical step in creating a continuous learning process in the maritime industry and we really have uh, a long ways to go and when you compare it with some other industries I think it's a stark contrast to what you see elsewhere. Wonderful. No, Eric, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. I hope this will be the first of many for you, Eric, and uh, please come back whenever you like. Thank, thank you, you very too. much. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much.